1: Hi there. Welcome back to the Working On Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. You can learn more about me and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com or Gusto-Now.com. Let me thank my partner and sponsor, WorkProud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everyone wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud is a mobile platform built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more at workproud.com. With us today is is Susan Lucci, who is passionate about encouraging women to reconnect to their essential nature and bravely turn up their soul shine to bring more of their authentic selves into the world. She is a purpose guide and has developed the circle model to bring women together through the ancient archetype to facilitate more soulful conversations and create more engaged communities. She has a chapter in the book, Purpose Rising, The Global Movement of Transformation and Meaning, which is how I originally came across her and then asked her to come on the show. Today we'll be talking about the state of purpose in the world. World, learn more about the circle work she does and explore the movement she sees emerging the culture of care. She joins us today from Chicago. Susan, welcome to Working On Purpose.
2: Hello, Elise. I'm happy to be here.
1: It is so great. You know, it's so great when I when I read someone's work and then I reach out and I that kind of starts stalking you, right? So then I reached out to you on LinkedIn and I found you in the Global Purpose Leaders Group and you really couldn't get away from me. So thank you for finally saying yes and, and coming on. Thank you for,
2: for stalking. Why not?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've met so many amazing people doing that. Um, and I haven't gotten arrested once yet, so it's great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just following your yeah, passion. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just love how you describe your journey to purpose. We want to start there, since we're going to situate this first part of the conversation around the purpose in the world. And I just want to start, because purpose is one of those kind of things that kind of we get it reveals itself to us, is one way to see it. And one of the things that you say in your work is you say your first interpretation of your purpose um, was as a lawyer, as advocating for other people. But there was something particular about that experience that really started to help you resonate with your purpose. So let's start there.
2: All right. Great. Uh, yeah, that that seemed to be what I was here to do um, as a little girl. I was in my dad's law firm and um, as the oldest child um, was always um, gently prodded to speak up for others and stand up for bullies on playgrounds. So I've been doing that uh, for decades now um, and really took a lot of... pleasure out of out of speaking up for people who could not speak up for themselves and whether that was then negotiating for them uh in law firms and and also some of my coworkers speaking out for them when they needed to be represented and that kind of thing um so i love that word advocacy um i still do that in lots of different ways today but at the heart of it is that word voice you know the latin word vocal so um about that and helping people to really activate their potential um, by finding their voice is is where it has evolved into um, from that point.
1: Hmm. I wanna echo that phrase you just said right there, Susan. It's so beautiful, activate their potential. Ooh, talk about exercising agency in the world. That is so beautiful.
2: Yeah, the the way I hold purpose is uh, if you think about an acorn uh, becoming an oak tree, um, and it's all potential that that becoming that happens between the seed and the bursting open and all of the moving through the environment to become an oak tree, uh, and each of us have that same intelliki, that same potential in us, and and it is shaped a lot by our environments, but there's also that acornness or that that eliceness, that soonness of each of us that I think is the, the fun revelatory process that you referenced.
1: Mm I love that.
2: that. Yeah. That potential. And it's within us and it's also between us, right? So even more is activated uh, between us in our conversation.
1: uh, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In this conversation, what we're going to talk about a little bit later with your circles work for sure. Um, So now I, I want to drill about, drill down a little bit deeper here, which I think is so interesting what you did in some of the reading that you shared with me or some of the writing that you shared with me. I think it's interesting that you, you started to reflect somewhere in your life. I'm not sure where this happened, but you, you go on to, de- to depict that your Montessori teacher and Mr. Rogers, I love that, played key roles in helping you discern your purpose. So now I want to, this is great for our listeners and viewers who are many people listening because they're trying to discover their purpose, right? That's why they're here. So how have you come to understand your purpose today and its expression going back through those experiences and those people?
2: Yeah, really, really through moments. Um, those are actually two uh, more recent reveals to me in the last, I would say, four or five years. Um, and and I, there was a day we will talk more about circle, but sitting in circle where I came out and I had a memory of being a little girl sitting on a taped on a rug where the circle was taped and just looking left and right. And there were children of all different colors, colors. Um, Rare in my in my then upbringing, but I was there. I was two years old, sitting on this circle with Miss Janine, who um, has, has since passed, but uh, remained in my life for many decades. And she called me the the center room baby. It was the Montessori center room in Cincinnati that my mom and her twin sister founded. Um, and she called me the uh, center room baby because I was the youngest that had ever gone. I wasn't even two when I was going. But the culture we had there that was so inclusive and so diverse, um, and learning about other cultures. At one point, I thought we were in Peru. I mean, the way she could just um, help us really embrace other cultures. Um, And I grew up in a a very strict – my mom was very strict and very – she really vetted, you know, anything that we that we took into our bodies, but also TV was very limited. Uh, but Mister Rogers' Neighborhood was a show, and watching uh, the film that was made uh, a couple years ago really reminded me of that deep love to be neighborly and how that even from a very young age we would um, shovel the snow on our neighbors' driveways before we shoveled our own snow. It just was. Part of my family culture growing up to be neighborly, and if I bring that all the way forward to uh, COVID, I would say um, connecting with new neighbors uh, was one of our survival mechanisms here. Um, so I, I really treasure, uh, along with the diversity that Mister Rogers stood for, and how he was talking to the mailman and and inviting uh, people in, and, and so many radical, edgy moves for the time. Um, so that's that's something I could I could then learn and watch that. Movie and it just broken broke open in me that memory of how deep my love for for community and uh, inclusive community went.
1: I can virtually guarantee you, Susan, that you have just opened something in listeners and viewers who heard you say that. Including me because I was also very attracted to mr. Rogers and I I now I recognize that it was because I Aligned with his whole value and notion of be, the goodness in the world and aspiring for goodness and and being kind And and so there's something listeners and viewers what I would encourage you to do from what you just shared is Consider what did you gravitate to when you were younger? What did you watch? Why did you what was what was there for you? So that share was beautiful Susan and wholly unanticipated. Thank you very much <laughs> um well, so here we are in a world, it's 2021, and you really can't go anywhere without hearing two words in one day, meaning and purpose. Um, and so there seems to be really an obsession with purpose these days, and there's a lot of confusion, as both you and I know about what that actually means. There's overuse and underuse of that word, um, and but it's there's an elusiveness to it as well. So I'd love your perspective as somebody who is a purpose guide, is how... How, what do you see about this? Is are we obsessed with purpose? What's going on with this?
2: Well, I think we are um, bothered by a. Uh, uh, uh huge, huge expectation around purpose. I, I myself went through this too, where I thought that to to be on purpose, to know my purpose meant I had to change the entire world. Um, <laughs> and that it was all squarely placed on my shoulders. And if I wasn't doing something about it that had impact and could be measured um, and valued, then I was just not purposeful. Um, and I have since heard that from a number of clients um, is but that's not purpose, but that's not big enough. That's not impactful enough. That's not changing the world. And so I have like, wow, we really need to bring this down to its essential nature, which is in your tagline, an ache for meaning. And to me, the, the moments that I have felt most... Um, embodying my purpose have been when I was needing that ache for meeting in the world and doing something with it and moving it into the world or, or being a presence um, that was drawing that in or connecting with other people. So I, I think our minds have gotten a hold of that that word purpose, which is an ancient concept. As, as far as I can tell, uh, Aristotle was teaching uh, about purpose. Um, and, and it is essential to our nature as human beings. And then somehow along the way, it, it got... Taken off probably through you know consumer capitalism that it had to be saving the world, <laughs> um, and so I think I think COVID I think our times now have really helped us land this to embody it that it we are meaning makers we are we are Homo sapiens those who who know that we know and I think that is what gives us the juice of life is when we make meaning and. The older I get, the more I'm reminded that it's up to me to do that. Um, You know, I've been through a lot of education, as you have too, and um, read a lot of books. People can teach you things, but when you make meaning for yourself, that to me is is the most alive. I feel.
1: Me too. That's my jam. Meaning and purpose. I love it. I've been doing it for you know, and it's my ache. Right to your point. What one of the paths to purpose is by really examining what ails you, your whole life. What have you learned by being obsessed with something that has bothered you? And I was bothered with, about the, the lack of meaning and purpose, and that's why I do what I do today. So, yeah, it's 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 amazing, and that brings us to where we've been for the last fifteen, sixteen months. This whole COVID thing, and one of the things that you and I talked about in our exchanges is how COVID and the quarantine has created some perfect conditions for a purpose journey. I wanna hear more about your perspective on that. I have my own, but let's hear yours.
2: Yeah, well, it is interesting that in some Zoom calls of the many Zoom calls, uh, I was on. <laughs> to look at the rectangle that we're in as our cocoon, right? As this um, alchemical cauldron <laughs> for our activating our purpose. But when I when I guide um, someone through a purpose journey or accompany them on their journey, it's uh, it's months long. The way that I was taught, and about two thirds of the way through, we actually create the conditions where they can um, separate. They can leave home, get out of the ordinary, the daily. Um, be immersed in nature as much as they are comfortable, and and really slow down to the speed of the soul. And so if I look at even those three parts, I mean, that's what COVID did. I wasn't many weeks into it when I was like, oh my gosh, here we we are. We are completely separated from each other, from what we call normal, you know, this daily way of living. We are the quiet around here, even in Chicago, was just so beautiful, the stillness. I noticed people just getting outside no matter what. We had a really um, terrific winter in Chicago, three feet of snow, but we were all getting out. There was something really interesting about us being in nature. Um, and then having that time to reflect, I noticed a lot more conversations about what matters most. We started talking about what's essential. Essential workers have always been on the, on our planet in our cultures, right? Nurses and teachers, suddenly it's like, what's essential? We're cheering for them. We're tying white ribbons around what's essential, the big question on a purpose journey. So I was like, here we are, (laughs) right in the middle of a purpose crisis slash opportunity. And sharing that moment together, I don't think we've yet unpacked exactly what has been happening.
1: No, it's continuing to unfurl. I want to go back quickly because you say so many great poetic things. I love the way that you use language. And I really am getting a sense, Susan, that I think it comes from something really deep not just in your person but that you're connected to across the world and in our our, our collective past that's kind of what i'm getting from you hmm. oh, it's, it's really beautiful it's really beautiful so it's, it's kind of you know like almost like gobsmacking me which is such a great thing but one of the things that you just said is uh, that it allowed us to slow down to the to the speed of the soul that's so eminently quotable slow down to the speed of the soul so just my perspective on it and is thinking about it from the vantage point of how we're cr- creating workplaces where we actually want to come to work and we're going to actually thrive and do business that betters the world. One of the things that I think is really interesting, one, we were all you know packed and, and so our whole routine was 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 stopped, which was necessary, an important intervention, if you will. Um, but then now here we are, we've now changed and, and got some new perspective on what life and work is. And so now what I find interesting, Susan, in my work um i've stumbled across this notion of the great resignation i've written some some articles about this for some of my clients but that really entails that it depending on who you read about this it's projected that anywhere from 33 to 50% of the of the north american workforce plans to change jobs in 2021 that's due to pent up demand for change uh, not feeling like their growth enough, just a need for something different, not feeling appreciated in their current role, lots of things, needing a change in life, right? And so they people are changing locations where they live. There's all this churn that's going on here. So what's your perspective on this notion of the change in the workplace and the change in where people are deciding to live?
2: Mm, yeah, the, the big shift, the big quit, it, it is, um, we, we are definitely, and I'm going through this as well, where somebody knocked on our door two weeks ago, we're actually in the process of selling our house. So Wow. I'm part of it. There's first, you know, for hire, looking for people to hire around me, my husband and his business has 50 job openings right now. So I'm really immersed in this and um, and curious about it. It's in the conversation is, um, I think what's happening is we're asking these big questions. And we woke up to this is not working for me. I've heard that from a lot of folks is this is no longer working. And at so many different levels. And I think people feel empowered, maybe from the constraints of what I call the longest winter ever. Um, And now that they're coming out with spring, I'm I'm hopeful and I'm also seeing more intentionality. And because of this, um, I think deeper connection with our souls because of the purpose journey here, um, coming out with more resolution, more intention. um, We have seen a lot of death, Elise. I mean, I know you lost your folks right before I lost my mom. During COVID, 600,000 deaths just in America, more around the globe. I mean, death... Was right here. We got to see how fragile life is, and I think that awakens something deep in us that that wants to be here's the kind of community I want. Here's the kind of people I want to work with. Here's the kind of work I want to do. And so I'm I'm hopeful that our that employers are really listening. I, I think we need some uh, wage adjustments for starts, but I think the 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 workability of our environments um, is really going to shift because of this demand. Um, so I, I think it's really exciting and we're just in the middle uh, of all of it. So um, for folks who don't like adaptation and change, I think it's a really hard time. <laughs> you know, we're going to go back to normal. I, I hope not. There was a lot not great about normal, you know, so um,
1: beautifully. Beautifully yeah. said. I agree. I think it's a great opportunity and it's very scary for people that don't like change and adaptation. You're right. And the Great Resignation also illuminated just how unnatural the way we have been working really is. That's part of what's written in that in that idea is it illuminated what what really, how crazy the way we actually have been working really is. The crazy commutes, sitting in a cubicle. You know, long meetings, what are we doing here? So, yeah, so much we could unpack on that. Um, but, but I also find it to be very exciting and helping companies through this crisis is part of what I've been really up to in the last like probably four months now.
2: Oh, that's beautiful. i'm I'm so grateful to hear you're in their ear.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I just it's just so I'm having more fun than I'm supposed to have, which we talked about it a bit before we got on the air. so don't tell anybody. <laughs> Let's grab our first <laughs> break.
2: You know, what's really great is people are listening. It, it, you know, I think yes. we're, we're listening because we're coming out of this place. And so that—that that is such an important human quality that um, I didn't experience a lot of in the law firm decades ago. I didn't experience a lot in the political arenas. And I, I think that's a great opportunity right now. Let's listen. Let's really listen to each other.
1: Mm-hmm. That's That's beautiful, Susan. What a great way to take us into our first break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We're on the air with Susan Lucci. She is a soulful facilitator, circle convener, and purpose guide. We've been talking a bit about purpose in the world. After the break, we're going to get into her circle work that she does. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to working on purpose.
1: Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. As I watch the pandemic continue on, we look for ways to help companies support their employees handle their anxiety, stress, depression, and feeling disconnected while also helping to lift and inspire them with ongoing professional development. So, we now offer a well being webinar learning series called Grab Your Gusto Vital Well Being from the Inside Out. You can learn more about it by emailing me at Elise at or go to the website EliseCortez.com and check it out there. If you're just joining the program, my guest today is Susan Lucci, who has a chapter in the book called Purpose Rising, A Global Movement of Transformation and Meaning. It is calling in from Chicago. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So Susan, this next part here, I want to talk about your the work that you do with circles. But first, I want to situate really how you talk about how it came about, which I think is really interesting. And I am certain that many listeners is all, are also going to resonate with this. But you say that after a very intentional motherhood and raising three children, you longed for more meaningful connections and conversations and heard the ache of so many other successful women to discover what they were here to do. So tell us more about how your circle work and your purpose guide work came from that ache and that listening.
2: All right. Great. Well, um, yeah, I think it was because I finally started sleeping through the night again after having uh, three (laughs) babies in four years. And I started reading again. And actually, the book, The Da Vinci Code, fell off the shelf and woke me up to the sacred feminine, which is part of this journey. Um, And then we, we moved and bought a house. And this is 2005. My, um, I had already been laid off once as a lawyer. My husband was laid off three different times as a lawyer and investment banker. So here we were, three children in this house, and it was looking like I had to go back to the law firm. And- my soul was just not having that <laughs> just felt like, Oh, so I'm, I'm out putting myself out in the world. The kids are getting in school. I'm starting to read again. And I start joining book clubs thinking, Oh, this is how I will be able to start having conversations, bigger conversations than about the diapers and you know, all, all the things of raising children. And, um, I just wasn't satisfied in the level of conversation. So I found myself just even out and bumping into strangers. And I can ask these big questions that were stirring in my soul. Um, and as it would turn out, there was an, a, a, another book, uh, This Time I Danced by Tama Keyes that came to me. And I ended up inviting her into my living room. And I had 30 women come one night, and she did a workshop. And afterwards, she did one coaching call. And it turns out this circle concept had been bubbling in me and in my journals for quite a while. And uh, a group of the women from that night wrote to me and said, what are we going to do next? So we started meeting in my living room once a month. And it was great because I was taking all the books I was reading, it was all sacred feminine stuff at the time, and I was bringing it in. I was playing with this model of like, let's slow down, listen to one person at a time and have a conversation about something that matters. And it was really incredible, like transformational almost from the beginning that people and the women in that group started like picking up dreams they had when they were younger, going back to school, starting businesses. It was just incredible in that year what happened. And then they turned to me and said, you should do this. And I was like, I wonder what this is. Um, and, and then I started reading more that actually Circle is a model of conversation. Um, and and I do it uniquely by weaving in so much uh, learning and um personal development work and then also the power of women sitting together um, and you know i have i had been a lawyer and raised my kids i had women come that had, had had professions worked in the corporate world had raised children had taken care of parents and they were waking up to what's next and it turns out that us slowing down, turning off our phones, closing the door, focusing on ourselves, and and me holding this this safe and what became sacred space to ask these big questions. And then us mirroring each other, like really remembering who we are and and sharing it with each other, like, oh, my gosh, Elise, I just heard you say this. And and what that did, um, because for most of us in those initial circles, and, and later I've learned too, Um, we've been in situations where we've harmed each other, right. Where, where maybe there was gossip or we didn't support each other because we felt competitive. Um, and so what we were practicing was this way of like, what if we uplift each other? What if we support each other and share, get really brave and share our dreams and our concerns and brainstorm together what we're doing. And it started becoming this like activation place. And, um, before you knew what I was doing like five of these a week with women. Uh, and then we looked around and they said, we all have nine-year-old girls. Shouldn't we know this stuff when we're little? So then I started sitting on the on the floor on Friday afternoons with nine-year-old girls and, and practicing this. What I learned was an ancient art form that was just coming through me as an archetype to light a candle in the middle, to set intention, um, you know, to, to meditate a little bit, slow down so I could really listen, you know, to what's in here. Um it just was magical. So I'm so grateful for that whole confluence of events and and maybe the listeners are thinking too, sometimes life just hands you this this perfect storm. And um I could have gone back to a law firm um and something inside of me that ached for something more said, no way, no way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what I'm present to, Susan, one of the things that I can't help doing, and I'm doing this with you and said it before, is I'm, when I listen to you and I read what you what you shared with me, I am very present that you have a unique vantage point, which I believe comes through your ability. It's your purpose lens, right? What you see in the world that needs doing or that that you can do. I really feel like you are connected to this ancient wisdom in a way that most of us aren't. and it, it is part of your unique being and fabric, and that is what you're bringing to the equation. you're you're connecting us back through you know, generations, millennia. That's what I get when I talk with you. It's not just Susan, you kind of you're sort of like not just a mouthpiece because there's much more to you than that, but I really get that you're standing on, you know millennia of of hearts, minds, and souls that came before you. So I, I get that. And so we get the benefit of that. And so when I think about, wow, what does that feel like? I can't even imagine. And then I know you you say that you've you've facilitated more than 600 circles in 11 years and all these ranges, the, the getting the benefit of that. It, I can't even imagine that, Susan. What's that like?
2: Uh, it really feels, it, it's so beautiful. So every time you can really have a conversation like this, like you just illuminated another aspect that I, that I hadn't really articulated or put together before. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so fun, especially when Purpose Peeps get together. Yeah. Um but what it feels like in the middle of being in circle is just complete and utter joy. It, it just feels like opening to something that's way bigger than me. That's why my website uh, is too big for words, because uh, even though I love words like you do, I love reading them, writing them, editing them. Circle experience is just too big for words. Um, but but I do really enjoy the preparation of bringing in other voices and weaving them together, because I think that part of that... Um, forgetting um is helpful in our remembering and i think part of a purpose journey is constantly remembering um who we are and i think we need each other to do that um and so i think it's it is helpful to bring in like this ancient wisdom what Rumi's talking about it's just incredible like wow this is so present today um in, in this moment and i think that's part of that remembering that there's something really essential here that i too am part of and so that um often when women come to circle, the first piece that I'll see them as their shoulders lower is they look around, they say, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of I'm not alone, that we all crave that that ache to belong. And so I think it's it's more than just these women in this circle. It's like we belong to all these eons of humanity that have been questing for purpose and meaning, that have been questing to make a difference. Um, and, and seekers, you know, of which I am uh, another one, and then just holding, holding guilty. open
1: space for that. Yeah, I'm guilty. Yes, I'm right there with you. Uh, <laughs> another word that I'm thinking of for you is conduit. You're mm-hmm. you're you're a spokesperson, and I think that maybe that's a reflection of your you know, being an attorney and a lawyer. But then I think of you as being a conduit to all this 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 you know millennia of wisdom and tradition as well. That's that's another word that I'm thinking of for you. So. Um,
2: okay, yeah. that, it, feel, it very much feels like that in my body. Um, really? I have, Good. I have been called a force of nature. So it does feel like a <laughs> conduit for, and even when I teach people my circle model, I, d- I will never trademark it or copyright it because it comes through me. And early on, I committed, I, I have it in my journal that, it will be organic, whatever this is, it will be organic and continue to evolve. And I'm just here to, to shape and shepherd and hold that however it wants to. Um, and so to me, it's still it's still also advocacy. It's just, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm holding space for others to really voice and also this, this um, shared consciousness, this what I call the we space is, is what I feel like I'm really a conduit to. And that's where we are wiser, right? Where, where all the potential, uh, potency lies, and also I think, like you're saying, our ancient roots, our history that we're connected to here.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you're speaking out of transformation, right? So you're, there is—it's an elevational process, but in so doing, it has to there, there's transformation involved. And that bit about what you're you're facilitating transformation, connection, wisdom, consciousness. I mean, there's so much happening. And the other thing that you just said that's so beautiful and listeners and viewers is so important that she, you said whatever this is. And so, right, a lot of times what is bubbling up from within us, which is uniquely us, this is our unique contribution to the world. And it is, in my view, many ways, your purpose. um, That is something that only we can do. And it's kind of like just being obedient to that which is coming out of us and letting and being of service through it.
2: Absolutely, and and when I um, guide people, it's it's comes so naturally to us that often we don't credit it, we don't value it. That's, that's right. We look around, right? It's like, oh, this is what everybody's coming to me for, and so I think that's a big part of the journey. I know that's a big part of the journey. Is that I'll often have people say, "You mean I get to just be me?" And that's a huge insight, and it always happens at a certain moment in the journey, and I love it. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and what does it feel like? What is that like? Now we get to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I agree with you that it's it's deeply encoded in our DNA that we now know carries uh, both the trauma and also the genius, you know, of our lineages.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you've been talking about facilitating your, these these groups, even in your home and in the afternoon and such. But you've also done this on, on a bigger, grander level for, for many organizations. Just one I want to talk about. Uh, but this whole idea of bringing humans together, and I know that you've done this for large forums like One Earth Film Festival, which must have been amazing. So, how do you convene a group and facilitate something like that at a film festival?
2: Oh gosh, it's so it, it just changes the game. And this film fest we just completed our tenth year, and we're we're virtual. Um, and it's it's way more even than the, than the sustainability. Um, I, I should actually connect you with that leader <laughs> to have on here. That thought leader, she's amazing. Love to. Um, but what what, we, what we've learned um, is that it's one thing in that case to watch a film and feel like, oh, good, I see something. Here's how important soil is. Um, but if we can then turn to each other, which is that model, is really turning to each other and beginning to unpack it, what resonated, starting with our senses, what did I see, what did I hear, what did I feel, what touched me, and then begin to move. We move them along the arc of activation and would end in in our model, um, if you imagine a room filled with hundreds of people and then they can't get out of the room until they meet with all of our, our strategic partners who are gonna help them then find the exact way to activate this awareness that they just had, this connection they've made to um, the planet, other people, and then to move into activation. So that conversation piece is really at the heart of it. And Um, Mostly we watch movies and just leave the theater. Right. And this model is about being really being together. And and sometimes we have the filmmakers and the directors. You really get to learn what's involved in this so that you can care to really open up that that part of I think that makes us human and makes us actually want to do something we can't not Right to tap into that field. So um, holding those spaces is is really fun because there's so many people there, Um, and and you know there's a microphone, but I'm just again playing with the energy of that room. And and we've seen those uh, the group swell over the years that I have facilitated that. And so then a certain kind of energy builds in the room, right? This enthusiasm and you're moved. Actually, you can feel that move part of movement, right? That we are actually going to move people to take action, um, to care more to do whatever part resonates with
1: them Mm, I think that would be amazing you know it's one thing to go after you watch a movie and go to a coffee spot and have a cappuccino and talk through what what you get from the movie or have a glass of wine afterwards but to convene a group and have it facilitated that would be really yummy so I'm in for the next one (laughs)
2: Yes, we we have an amazing team of facilitators. And every year, we still revisit the training, you know, is this the essential model? Is this because it's we're so deliberate about it. Um, And there's a lot of history even to that model that we use. So um, I've been so fortunate. To, to do that in, in an activist kind of way that people um, can really feel good because a topic like um, the environment, right, or climate crisis mm-hmm. can be so heavy and it can be so overwhelming that, that you don't know what to do. Right. So we're, we're flipping that, right, and, and empowering people. And so some people like to write and do the advocacy. Some people like to march, but there's also all, all kinds of other things that you can do. Um, and so let's do it together. Then you feel, you realize, like, my little action is going to be part of these bigger actions. And we've, we emphasize that quite a bit too,
1: mm, Susan, that's so powerful. Of, right? Yeah. So powerful to connect to something like that. That is great. So glad to have you and, and share you with my listeners and viewers. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We are on the air with Susan Lucci, who is a sulfur facilitator, circle convener and purpose guide. We've been talking a bit about the work she does with circles. After the break, we're going to talk about the movement she sees emerging in the world. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Now, back to working on purpose.
1: for staying with us and welcome back to Working On Purpose. I mentioned in the first break about the Grab Your Gusto Wellbeing webcast learning series. The content of that program is adapted from part one of my recently published book called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause, which is really all about awakening readers to their passion and their purpose and helping to transform them into inspirational leaders who create a workplace where people actually want to come and will thrive. If you're just joining us, my guest today is Susan Lucci, who, among other things, is the co-founder and circle tender of Feel Real, a benefit corporation devoted to co-creating brave spaces for people to engage in real-time, face-to-face, meaningful conversations online. She's calling in today from Chicago. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Okay, so for this next part of the conversation, let's let's just really dive into this. This is this is where I really recognize, Susan, that you really are up to something in the world. And I want to be able to read a, a small passage from what you sent to me about what you're shaping into a book because I want the readers to understand and get present to the way you use language all right so I'm gonna read this so this is from an introduction that you're you're working on for your book it's to me it's just titillating so she says Read along with me to discover for yourself the new consciousness weaving her way through communities of women, connecting, caring for, and uplifting each other. Wander along with us as I share stories evidencing the emerging culture of community-minded activists and artists creating the change we desperately need. The feminine soul is rising up and she is marching and running for office and changing policy and creating new communities and impacting culture as she reclaims her sovereignty. A new way of being human is bravely and boldly revealing herself in the heart of our country. I'm in, Susan. This (laughs) book coming out. When's it coming out?
2: You're part of it. You are part of this movement that I see, for sure. Hmm. You know, when I was writing um, that part of the book, um, I was also rereading Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, which her wake up call came from uh, almost a dystopian, although it's not that unrealistic. But it was a, a very here's what's going to happen if we keep using toxic chemicals. And so I kept thinking, what if what if what's missing is us seeing a possible future that we that we already are becoming. Um, and so that's that's what came to me um, to write that. And as I was writing it, I also know women that are doing all of those things, right? So um, I, I think. What I'm fascinated by is there is a movement, there is an uprising of women around the planet, and it just hasn't been named or noticed in its entirety. So, what if we make that visible? This this culture of care that is being um, created and co-created all over the planet. And I saw a lot of that during COVID. How many people are holding circles, for example? I met a lot of facilitators, and I was just blown away. Like. Here I thought I was holding up my piece of this guy doing circles, and there's there's people around the globe uh, doing circles. Um, so I and and the the other piece about this culture of care that I feel like I'm seeing, just like Paul Hawkins saw this blessed unrest with with nonprofits uh, forming a, mo- a movement. Um, And if I bring it back, our conversation from the first part about purpose, like really what is purpose? And a lot of what's written about purpose is about desire and passion and like following what you love and following your bliss. You know, Joseph Campbell's piece. And what I have learned is that especially with women, Often we are most on purpose when we're following our heartbreak, when it's yes. actually, and not, not I'm not talking about the, um, the third, our 13-year-old first boyfriend that we broke up with. I'm talking about our deep heartbreak that we can't not do something about, that need in the world. So when I saw women just like, oh, gosh, do I have anything else to give? You know, and I could just feel into the potential. I was like, oh, right, we got to get up to this, you know, we've got to support this and nurture this so that we can do that. Um, and so that's, that's what a lot of my book is about. And, and the challenges I know, as a little girl, I was told, don't wear your heart on your sleeve, it's dangerous. And in fact, I, uh, at one point, I was um, graduating school working for a litigator, and bad case, and oh my God, did they break my heart, and I came home, because I love babies, and I came home at night, and and it it got to the point, I thought, this is too, I'm too emotional, I cannot do this work, so I I got into the um, more corporate type work as well. Decades later, I have since come to uh, really appreciate and respect that our, wearing our heart on our sleeve is exactly what's needed, and it's our superpower. To really take our vulnerability, our compassion, all of these beautiful gifts of our heart that move us in the world, that make us do that work that we can't not do. And so I've, I've, I'm really, I've seen that. And that's what my book is about, is that the culture of care comes through, um, especially with this feminine energy women waking up to their heartbreak and, and just doing something about it, caring for each other, uh, running for office. It's incredible, um, the numbers of women. I stopped after I interviewed dozens of them. I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to capture. Um, all of these there's so many so.
1: Mm-hmm. I can't wait. This is so this is so great Susan. I just it's so interesting and intriguing and compelling to listen to. It's not just listening to you, it's being with you as you say. Your your energy that's conveys so much and your your passion, your conviction. It's it's this is fascinating. I really don't want to let you go from my listeners and viewers by the way. So we'll be on for maybe a few more hours. You just, you know, <laughs> get, get dinner ordered and we'll call it good Perfect. but Um, One of the things that you said, uh, just as you're starting to articulate some of these new thoughts here, is you do talk about this new kind of presence and power that's rising up on the planet, and and you say it's uniquely and fiercely feminine, and you you talk specifically about how it's embodied in our teen climate activist Greta Thunberg, I'm not sure how to say her last name, but she brings so much insight and courage in, in her truth-telling that's inspiring massive acts of protest and people coming along with her. And I think that's such a great example of what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, right. And and so wonderfully surprising, I think, for most of us to be, well, how old is she? What is she? Right, right. But and her ferocity, how, how she can just, right? And, and we have seen it moves people, right? Um, and so I think there's juice there. I, I often will say that... Um, Uh, we have not yet on this planet experienced mama bears roar a whole group of women coming together. And we care about our planet. We care about our children. We care. And just like that, really taking that energy, that fierce mama bear roar, and even though she's not a mother, I just think Greta Greta embodies that, right? She speaks from that place um, and, and calls us into it, because it's very much then a we place. It's not the, the hero's journey model of, I am Greta and I am running this, right? She's very clear with us. She'd rather be going to school and doing what kids do, um, right? But because nobody else is up to this, she has to. Um, and, and so I see that in many different ways and shapes. It's and I, and I think Shannon Watts, um, who who started the Moms Demand um, sense around the, the gun laws and stuff like that, she talks about this too. And I met with her uh, after a, um, an event here in Chicago, and I was talking to her about that. Like, what is this power of women uh, coming together? Because, and, and it comes from our hearts, what we care about, what we can no longer stand to let happen in our communities.
1: mm. So this is this is so powerful, and I, I've been having so many really amazing conversations around, if you will, the the spigot of the dial or around the the, the mic about these things. And so this is really important that we talk about this next point, point. Um, and this whole point of this new balancing energy that you're talking about that's rising up all over the planet. It's in, and you say it's in response to toxic masculinity, oppressive patriarchy, and and you're really talking about bringing more of a, a yin to an excessive yang and. this sacred feminine archetype can be embodied in both men and women of course and and what this is really important listeners and viewers this is the point that i want to make here this energy is not against men in fact this is this uprising is not against anything at all you're taking a stand for life and it's the harmony that, that uplifts others. And it's really important that we talk about this because I think sometimes when we either talk about what's happening for men or what's happening for women, the other side starts to feel picked on, or what about us? And you're not saying that, you're you're talking about something what I would consider to be much more pure
2: here. Yeah, it's absolutely. What are we for? What do we care about? And uplifting that. Um, a, a lot of us, a lot of the women in circles, a lot of the women I, I uh, purpose guide have have made it in the masculine world. Right? We we have been lawyers and doctors and and, and, and survived in the corporate world. And now and there's something else. And I and I do see this. I think there's. Uh, plenty of books to be written about men and the sacred masculine and that coming in and then the balance of the two mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But what I have been seeing here is uniquely feminine, um, you know, in, in women's bodies, um, coming into their community, what they care about, but it's, it's very much the, the pro, you know, the, the what do we stand for what, and, and moving in that direction. And it's also, um, not, not like this driven, um, achievement type way. It's, it's, it's a whole different effect. Sometimes we're just stepping back. Sometimes it's about the presence. Um, mostly it's about uplifting and centering other people, other people whose voices, um, have not been heard other people who, who don't have access to, uh, resources or systems that were, that we're really shepherding, um, and working towards. So it's very much, um, Communal, You know, and, and about groups, it's very collaborative working together. It's very co-creative, um, even though an idea might come through something I say or you say it's about now. What do we do together? Who needs to be part of this to create the kind of world we want to live in? Um, so I think we, we've learned the limitations of the anti <laughs> movements. Right. Um, even energetically, they, they just do something very different. Um, if I talk to you and I, you and I could have a whole conversation about what I am against, <laughs> what I do not, but but that will not energize. You'll notice a very different energy in me. So, I think these are the kind of conversations that I like to hold and have. It's like, what do you stand for? What do you want your life to stand for when it's over? Um, you know, what what did what were you for? What did you learn during COVID that you can bring out of that now and give to the world? Um, because it's needed right now.
1: Oh. You and I could. Can- complete your other sentences, Susan. I just gave a presentation today where I'm saying something almost exactly like what you've been saying. <laughs> and and by the way, I did actually get moved to tears at once, at one point, because I was reflecting on something that inspired me. And so when we get inspired, sometimes we get moved to tears. And to your point, wearing, wearing your emotions on your sleeve. And so I, I, I like being in that world. That's the world I wanna live in. So to that point, I wanted to ask you about what is your vision of the world as embodied in this movement toward a culture of care? What does that look like?
2: Well, um, a little bit like what you read earlier at the beginning of my book, and then I go. What I want to do is to go on in, if this is a book or a pot, I don't know what it's going, how it's going to come out into the world, but that it is stories of people acting in the world every day, from embodying their purpose to make it so that people can start looking around and go, oh yes, my neighbor does that. Oh, my husband does that. That they can see it, and then we inspire each other. Um, I something I have really witnessed is that we can't become ourselves by ourselves. Um, mm-hmm. I actually did a lot of my own self-awareness and development journey. And I got to the point where I was like, you can no longer sit on this cushion, girl, you have got to get into the world. Mm-hmm. That's what I missed most about COVID is bumping up against the world. That's where I learned the most about my purpose, where I have opportunities to give. Right. So, we, when we humans can really embrace that—that that all of this othering is holding us back from the truth, which is belonging and becoming beloved community—and that that means all of us—that the circle has to be. You can go right back to Miss Janine on that on that circle um, in Montessori or Mister Rogers. It's an, until we are all part of this and as equals in a circle model, right? We we are equals. Even if I'm facilitating, I am right here with you. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. Um, I don't hold any access to anything greater than you. And so it's happening. I mean, in our families, in our communities, we are, we are being, I think this better version of ourselves, which is that we move from what we care about. We've also learned so much about our emotional intelligence and heart math. I love the heart math Institute. What they're discovering is, um, yeah, our brains are fabulous, but our hearts, Wow. 5,000 times more of that energy. So this is just an untapped potential and it's best activated when we come together, when we come together around something we care about, such as like the kind of world we want to live in. Um, and there are conditions like COVID that are going to pressure us into that. I think the climate, you know, we see that we just had a tornado in Chicago, uh, two days ago, wow. we see this climate and there are, we're talking like, what are we going to do? How are we going to come together? Um, to, to really survive this, right, and to nurture each other and, and live the lives that we want to live together.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh, Susan, that is a great way to finish the show. We are out of time, and you have been spectacular. I'm certain that, that, that our listeners and viewers don't want to give you up, so you've got, to find, you, you've got to find her and connect with her. So, Susan, thank you for sharing your heart, mind, and soul with us today.
2: Thank you, Elise. It's been a pleasure.
1: Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Susan Lucci and the work she is doing as a circle tender and purpose guide, start by visiting her website at pursueyourpurpose.co. Again, that's pursueyourpurpose.co. And again, thanks to our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback, and thanks for their work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via a recorded podcast. We were on the air with Bob Graham and Eugenia Duran of Namaste Direct, talking about how this nonprofit came to be as an expression of Bob's promise to himself to go 50-50 at 50, meaning spend 50% of his life toward work and making money, and the other 50% toward service by the time he was 50. And I'm now on that board that as well. So 35 years later, his work lives on in this dynamic organization, and that is dedicated to empowering Guatemalan business owners and entrepreneurs, women specifically, with business education and microloans to transform them from poverty to at least middle class. Amazing group. Next week, we'll be on the air with Charles Antis talking about his refusal to stray from being a cheerleader for good, while also stewarding a very successful roofing business. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of a life, so let's work on purpose.